nothing else than experience. And we're back. Uh, welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Hi, guys. Mike won here. Also, Mike is not. Uh, and probably for the reason you all expect to hear that he's not here in person right now. Mike, Mike, and Oscar, we're going to keep going forward and we're going to keep uh, trying to plow through providing you guys with new content keeping you up to date on all the Oscars movies all the entertainment world in general as we do however we are taking the necessary precautions as everyone else out there is we are trying to wash our hands incessantly and non-stop and as a matter of fact if this microphone wasn't located so far away from my sink I would be washing my hands at this current moment as I speak but since it is uh, Mike's washing his hands currently at his house and that's how we're going to go forward right now at least for the foreseeable future and at least until we know what the hell is exactly going on with this coronavirus so this episode we have myself uh also mike is going to be joining me he's going from a mic at his house i'm at my house and we were being joined by andrew from the nomcast from his house and i know we told you guys in a previous episode our last episode as a matter of fact that what we're going to do today is an osp of lost girls that movie that just came out today march 13th as we record this on netflix that's why andrew of the nomcast the netflix original movies cast uh is joining us we're pivoting a little from that. You're still going to get your review of Lost Girls in this episode. And don't worry, I do make that terrible Patrick Swayze joke that you're all thinking of with a movie called Lost Girls. I wouldn't disappoint you like that. But instead of just doing an OSP on Lost Girls, because we think there, there's more to cover right now than just going giving you, you know, an hour, an hour and 20 on this one Netflix movie. Uh, we do talk about kind of the industry and how it's been affected thus far by Corona. We kind of get you up to date as far as what's happening in the country with Corona and just give our takes on it. Andrew being a father of two, all three of us dealing with aging parents and what we're worried about different family members being in different sectors of the professionalism. We give our takes on that for the first 20 or so minutes of this episode. So we talk about how this has been a just bonkers 24 hours the sports world and the effects that it has basically being shut down by this coronavirus we talk about the, what's going on right now with theaters as we all know broadway has closed in new york city what's going on with movie theaters amc just made a big change the president just spoke declaring a national state of emergency uh, all due to this coronavirus outbreak we don't want to bog you down with all that, though, and we try to give you a little levity, and that's why we do go into the Lost Girls review. You'll be able to catch that after about uh, the 22, 23-minute mark uh, of this episode. You'll be able to hear us run down Lost Girls and give you the full review of it, uh, like we said, with Andrew of the Nomcast joining us as well. Uh, we hope you are safe. We hope you are healthy and happy, and so are all of your loved ones. Uh, we, like I said, hope we can keep pushing out this content for you, so right Right now, I'm going to hand it off to also Mike with the hosting duties in a seamless transition that won't even let you know that he's actually not next to me. All right, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I'll welcome myself here because I didn't record the intro. And this is also Mike. And we're really happy to have Andrew from the Nomcast with us today. Andrew, uh, you're finally a proper guest on MMO. Yeah, I'm excited, man. This is good. Yeah, it's been a while where you and I have recorded together, and uh, and this other person. I know. I'm, I feel like right I'm now. third wheeling on a date right now. Are you guys okay with me here? <laughs> I don't know if we my are. Favorite bubble boy. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Like it's Mike is almost. Uh, at the status where he's like my imaginary girlfriend. If we didn't have 400 episodes of evidence, like you probably wouldn't believe Mike existed from all the times that we uh, said, you know, Mike would be there. He got sick or whatever happened. Yeah. He's the Canadian girlfriend. You say you have at camp. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. Mike's just been really good at throwing his voice. All those episodes. That's, <laughs> That's right. Or, uh, yeah. Or I'm an expert ventriloquist. Right. Or something. <laughs> I guess I don't have to be a ventriloquist. I could just do voice acting. Then why is your hand always in my... Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, you have a particularly negative take that we probably should just get out of the way because you just watched the president's press conference and you're very down on it. You you made a tweet the other day about this being the craziest 48 hours since 9-11. Man, what's going on? Yeah. Well, that's the $64,000 question. And I, I mean, you, you kind of took the words out of the, the tweet that a lot of people found relatable, which is scary as hell, is that this has been the craziest couple of days since September of 2001. And I personally can't remember a time 
I mean, every sports season, every single sports season has stopped. Every entertainment outlet and venue, which we're obviously going to talk about here, has ceased production on movies and TV shows. I mean, it's this is basically the beginning or the end of whatever episode of The Walking Dead we're at. You go outside and there's nothing. I got a good friend. I posted this on Twitter as well. He was actually in Vegas the past three days. He was going to go to a concert. Then he went there and actually decided not to, just out of corona concerns. He took a picture of the Venetian sports book at 5 p.m. Vegas time, and there was nobody in there. And as a degenerate and hardcore, you know, idiot myself that is shocking to see so this is very very unfound territory and i it kind of feels like we're all living in the twilight zone right now and i kind of have two of super scary pieces of news that i wanted to talk about with you guys right off the bat here number one and this is going to tie into our movie theater uh discussion in a minute number one the ufc is not shutting down they're holding their dates and number two the college world series got canceled and that is supposed to happen in the middle of june yeah andrew does that freak you out all the more it freaks me out a little bit only in the sense of you know june is far away but i would imagine they will reschedule and i know a lot of the the planning for these things happens so far in advance that if you're gonna try to accomplish what you do on the norm then you're probably going to need that much more prep to, you know, kind of reset the clock. So I don't know how easy it is for them to reschedule or how to pull that off. But, you know, uh, I know a lot of uh, the schools around here are closed and all the sports shut down for that. And there's a lot of seniors who are really bummed. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to happen on the college level, too. But I guess social distancing doesn't apply if you're going to wrestle. Does it, Mike? Because you, you're pretty worried about the <laughs> WWE being canceled. I, I speak, I, I no doubt, for everybody in all our audiences who can't wait to hear me talk about wrestling even more than I already do when I say <laughs> I don't think any of us are truly prepared to live in a world without WrestleMania, which I know the city of Tampa Bay has already had one meeting. They already kind of singled out WrestleMania basically without saying as much that we really don't want to cancel it because of the revenue it brings in. They're supposed to have this emergency meeting next week. That's supposed to be this follow-up as to what they're going to do. Smackdown tonight, as we record this on the 13th of March, it was going to be what another, it followed the path of what basketball was going to do. We're going to have no fans. We're going to, or we're going to have less fans. Then we're going to have no fans. And now they're going to be just the wrestlers in front of nobody. I have no idea what that's going to be expecting to be. I'm going to review that on MMO weekly. It's just truly bizarre. Uh, and yeah, if there's no WrestleMania, I, I will cry more than I've cried to any film in the last three years. What if they had all the wrestlers go up into the stands just around the ring and they kept like, <laughs> it almost looks like glow. I mean, all the wrestlers are, are yelling and they just keep running into the matches and stuff. What about that? Uh, listen, as long as there's some form of live entertainment that I could sink my teeth into and potentially bet on, I'm there. All right. Well, I guess this is a, this does tie in to what's happening with movie theaters right now. And Andrew, you and I, have we've talked about this uh, in a couple different pods about the theater-going experience. We're still both patrons of it. You had, you know, a big promotion for the premiere of The Irishman at Connecticut Theaters this past year with the Nomcast. Quiet Place 2, Mulan, Lovebirds, Antlers, Fast and Furious 9 moves to next year. And yet, movie theaters are staying open. What's your take on this? I mean, it's tough, obviously. They said that, you know, crowds of a certain number are obviously, you know, they're banned in some states. Like I know uh, I do, I'm a stand-up comedian and I know a lot of, uh, you know, concerts and stand-up shows and everything have been uh, taken down per order of the state uh, here in Connecticut uh, to not occur. I think up until, God, I think they said April, mid-April or later. Mm -hmm. Uh, for the time being. So, I mean, movie theaters are obviously no different. Uh, I I know we spoke in the pre-show here that, uh, you know, a lot of theaters are thinking of going at half capacity. That's not the dumbest thing in the world. You know, if we're going to get below that 100 mark, I believe, was kind of the line of demarcation there. So, you know, if, if they want to do that to try to stem off financial collapse, I understand. Uh, I also have heard 
you know, that maybe it makes the most sense, at least for studio sake, not movie theater sake, but, you know, maybe try different options in, in the streaming game to release, maybe especially smaller movies that, you know, try to release those in a quicker to VOD or, or streaming services. So, you know, they got to make their money back somehow. Obviously, uh, it's the public that's going to really choose, you know, whether they're going to go or not. The movie theaters right. being open is mildly irrelevant. And Mike, I want to get back to the VOD moves uh, that that could happen in a second. But Mike, I, I got to ask you because again, you know the Twitter ants, you know you're you're pretty known for those at this point. <laughs> I social, wear it proudly, yeah. Social distancing and the doctrine thereof seems to say that you know you and I we're recording remotely right now, and we're on a we're having a three way with Andrew, which was inevitable, by the way. But <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> We're having this three-way Skype call right now because you and I are afraid of getting each other sick and therefore getting our families sick. So we're practicing social distancing just on a one-to-one basis. So what do you think about kind of, is, is this a reckless thing for theaters? Is it is it a point where they're being greedy or do you think they are worried that the business, like Andrew said, is just teetering on the edge and it needs to make money. Like what, what is scarier to you? Man, that's a loaded question. Uh, my inst- greed or fear. Yeah. So my instinct <laughs> is to say, I, I don't know what you do if you own a movie theater right now, because if that's, I mean, that's obviously your business and especially if it's an independently owned theater, it's not a big chain like AMC, like Andrew said, I mean, you, you have to stay open. You have to try to get some kind of income because otherwise you're just going to collapse. It's not like film is a thriving, you know, booming industry right now. Anyway, with the competitors, like the, all, all the streaming services that are out there. But so I, I, in that respect, I don't blame the theaters for staying open, but uh, if the big chains, I don't know, AMC saying that they could have 50% of people, they're, they're marking down the 50% capacity and only allowing half the amount of people in anyway. I don't know necessarily what those people are even going to go see because all the movies are not coming out anyway. I don't know what motivation there would be to go to a movie theater right now. If, if I mean, just speaking personally, I have no plans to go to the theater for the foreseeable future, at least. And I, I, that's actually, Mike, what I was going to ask Andrew anyway is, Andrew, you're the only one of the three of us with kids. How does this impact you as a father and like, and and just spending time with them, going to the theaters with your children, like having spending quality time with them? Has anything changed? Uh, no, mostly because my kids, uh, (laughs) weirdly, they've only gone to one movie thus far because they're young, young, they're five and three. So they, you know, don't really go out to the movies that much uh, thus far. But, um, you know, it's it is something that we're all dealing with as parents right now, as far as like just trying to fill the time, because if school's out, you try, you know, you try your best to juggle. You know, some people are like myself uh, working from home and trying to also be a dad and educate and not just sit them in front of a television but, uh, you know, that's going to end up winning <laughs> at some point. <laughs> um, but this is what we're dealing with, I guess, just to, to keep people safe. You got to do the best, the best you can. I mean, we're in quarantine, baby. I watched Outbreak the other night. Uh, you know, it's going to be martial law soon enough. So uh, <laughs> I'll enjoy the non-military tanks down my street. So I'll deal with that. So you're leaning into this, though. You're watching movies like Outbreak is Contagion next on your list? or Well, not with your misinformation uh, there, Mike. So, yes, he was uh, very upset know, about this. I was very upset that you said it was on Hulu, and then I realized that I need the Cinemax sign-in to uh, get in. So you were right, but also horribly wrong. So <laughs> Horribly uh, wrong. Very disappointed. Uh, but you know, I should also be a... I should also be a Steven, better Steven Soderbergh fan and have it on DVD at the ready. So that's also on me uh, for not preparing for uh, needing to watch all the virus movies in my life. <laughs> I think as an Oscars pundit, I'm often right, but also horribly wrong. So I'll, I'll take that as just par for the course. So just rename but, the podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, you did mention some VOD stuff in there somewhere, and you mentioned Hulu. And this is my ham-handed segue now because – We have Hulu making a move today. Big Time Adolescence was due to premiere on the 20th. That's next Friday. They pushed it up to the 13th. So Hulu just made a move to get eyes on its streaming service. I'm wondering if you guys think that some of these maybe smaller production companies, 
first and foremost, that are currently playing movies in theaters, that are probably not going to be seen in theaters when we finally see those box office numbers. They're going to be paltry. Andrew, do you think that Netflix is going to make a similar move? What do you think of uh, of Hulu making the change? I think it's a smart bo- move by Hulu uh, to actually move anything up, especially in these next couple of weeks. A lot of people, uh, you know, kind of across the country uh, are, you know, closing schools at least for two weeks, mm-hmm. especially given the incubation time of the, the virus and stuff. That's kind of been the MO, uh, the orders from above. But, you know, so it makes sense to kind of, you know, jam pack everything in the next few weeks with the most eyeballs. Uh, and I think it would be smart of Netflix if they have these things that they're ready to do. So uh, we, you know, you and I did our Netflix 2020 preview part as right. part of your show and as part of mine. And a lot of those movies that we mentioned didn't have dates. And I've noticed that I don't know how soon they did this, but a lot of movies that, you know, were not quite there. It seemed like I was going to have a gap in my schedule full slate now. So now, you know, every Friday, a bunch of stuff either got moved up. There's not trailers for stuff that they're saying is going to be out in early April. Wow. So, uh, it's kind of amazing to see that dates have been released for some things like Coffee and Kareem that didn't have a release date. Tiger Tail uh, is now early April. Uh, you know, the Willoughby's we discussed as like an, a possible Oscar contender for animation now is uh, mid to late April. So wow. with with dates, uh, hard dates. So it, it's interesting that a lot of these things kind of moved around. Uh, and one of them, uh, especially I thought would be a smart move to move up because I believe it's done because it also has a date announced is Extraction, uh, which is a, you know, a good action film with, you know, Thor himself uh, being at the helm. So, you know, a Hemsworth always sells. So to push that now would make a whole lot of sense because the the stuff they have in the immediate uh, probably next couple weeks is not the biggest things for them. Uh, especially as far as like English releases. So I wouldn't be shocked if they move things up. Yeah. They had the platform, which is going to be a Spanish horror movie that won a Goya award. Mike, are you going to get desperate enough to where you watch a Spanish horror movie that won a Goya award for VFX? Uh, what do you think of the Netflix and streaming slate right now? You if I may, in? if I may, guys, it also was <laughs> got the Midnight Madness award at TIFF. So Goya award aside, let's give it a little more prestige. <laughs> okay, and we, platform, just, we just watched Veronica a couple of years ago, which was a, an That's international true. horror film, and that I thought was better than most horror films that we've been reviewing. So, uh, yeah, man, there's going to be a point where I'm sick of watching The Office and Parks and Rec on repeat, right? You would think I'm going to dive into something, but I think, uh, I don't know. I, again, I think it's it, been months along that's true. the same journey. That's true. <laughs> it could, yeah, you, you know, I retract my statement. No is my answer. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to ask both of you guys now, because like, all right, let's say St. Maud is not going to, there's not going to be theaters to play it in. How much would you pay for St. Maud on video on demand? Would you pay twenty dollars? Would you pay thirty dollars? The big picture podcast kind of asked this question of one another uh, this morning with uh, "No Time to Die." How much would you pay for "No Time to Die," uh, Andrew? Let, let, let's start with you on that. Yeah, I, I, I listened to that podcast as well, and I, I sided more against uh, Sean Fennessy, where he was like, "You, you know, uh, Sean Parker, the the Napster slash Facebook entrepreneur." Uh, said that he was going to have a service like that where they were going to have movies like being $100, kind of almost being like a pay-per-view thought, right? Where it's like, oh, I really want to watch this. I'll get a bunch of people over to watch it, and it'll kind of work that way. Um, Problem is, we don't want people anywhere near us right now. So (laughs) literally, I'm paying for just my family to watch it, um, which means it has to be a family-friendly film, so same odds out. So... You know, if it's more than, you know, standard like rental prices at this point, it'd be it'd be hard to hard to swallow, especially with all the options. Mike, would you go for something like that for your little nephews if it was Sonic the Hedgehog and you could pay 20 bucks to to have them watch it? I mean, Sonic's already kind of made its money in theaters anyway, right? Well, let me tell you that my first reaction uh, 
living where I do and having the movie theater I have, that little podunk theater where the prices are like way lower than any kind of big city theater to begin yeah, with. Eight bucks. Yeah, there'd be like sticker shock for me. I'd be like, why am I going to pay 20 bucks for a new movie that I can get in a couple of months for five ninety nine to rent anyway? So I, I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I, obviously I'm not the concern of the big movie studios anyway, and they're going to be concentrated more on the bigger city, uh, the big city uh, people, and maybe they can get a couple bucks out of them, but... I, I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be motivated to do it. No, personally, I would I would just wait it out until it's on a, a rental like everything else that I can just re- have at my fingertips. And then you have all the competition from all these streaming services, especially if they're moving up their programs. There was uh, there was just an article, though, that I want that I want to talk about from uh, Forbes a couple days ago from Dana Feldman. And she basically said that this coronavirus is going to ultimately be bad for Netflix, though. And, and that was like against the grain kind of thinking because ultimately Netflix is a luxury. It's an entertainment item and uh, you need disposable income. You know, wallets are going to get tight. Andrew, what do you think of that first point? Is this ultimately bad just for a lack of disposable income? No, <laughs> I think that's a wild, <laughs> wild idea. And I'll say this as a person who uh, cut the cord years ago. What, what are people's options? I mean, unless you're telling me, I, I don't think it's going to be bad for, for Netflix unless you're telling me the standard argument that's been going on since Disney Plus came out where it's like if people have to choose and they mm-hmm. need something that has, you know, all that IP that Disney Plus carries and you're going to ride it out with that, okay. But, you know, obviously that hasn't really hurt netflix too much since disney plus has come out and disney plus isn't exactly cranking out new content either so you know i don't know people will be making that choice uh especially in uh, unless it's months down the road now uh that they're gonna have to make that choice so i don't know i think that's overblown if anything uh cable companies should be a little concerned uh -hmm. with people making the choice earlier than they thought to uh, cut the cord and try to go cheaper. Especially those that are so reliant on live content. I mean, what is ESPN showing for the next, for, for, for the next what, two, three weeks? Are they just going to have Scott right. Van Pelt behind a desk for 24 <laughs> hours a day? Shouldn't they move up their Michael Jordan series? Like, wouldn't that be the perfect time to have your six-episode 30 for 30 Jordan series start happening? Yeah, Andrew's hitting on something there, and I, I don't mean to like to answer too quickly, but I think absolutely cable companies should be worried way more than streaming. Content is king, and it has been for a while, and whoever can get their hands on the most of it, at least the most new stuff, especially in this time when we're all just craving anything because we're so over-inundated with live content, new content, and fresh content on a daily basis anyway, now you're going to tell me everything stops. Well, whoever has the most banked right now that is new to me, that's probably going to get more eyes on the product, I would think, overall. Yeah, I would think so, too. And, yeah, I think we're all, all unfortunately, in agreement uh, on all of this. So let's look at what Netflix did this past weekend. And I'm going to be a little more critical of Netflix than I have been in a while, unfortunately, Andrew. uh, (laughs) You may disown me at the end of all this. But we're basically going to attack on a review of lost girls in this particular episode we're going to do a full osp i don't i don't think it merits it to be honest with you but uh i i do think it's a movie worth talking about for for a spell here and definitely as a test case for kind of what we just talked about in the last 20 minutes what netflix is doing so i just wanted to get into some general thoughts i mean the the plot premise of this is uh, marie gilbert's daughter disappears police in action drives her own investigation into the gated long island community where shannon was last seen uh her search brings attention to a dozen murdered sex workers this is a true story andrew this stars amy ryan thomason mckenzie general thoughts on lost girls yeah i think it's fine it's probably uh you know unfortunately a lot of times when you hear uh buzz coming out of sundance uh and you hear anything kind of mediocre to down you don't want to buy in you want to try to go in with an open mind and try to hope for the best yeah uh especially when obviously you're doing a netflix only podcast like myself obviously (laughs) i'd like to champion something uh for once uh, but you know, it, it, uh, unfortunately kind of hit where the Metacritic scores and a lot of the, 
a lot of the buzz coming out of Sundance or lack thereof, I should say, uh, for this movie, it, it basically hits that mediocre area, like kind of uh, a step, uh, a little step above doing, uh, you know, a, a really good SVU episode mm-hmm. <laughs> or, yeah. or, you know, or, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if even somebody like a, a David Fincher or somebody else who can actually do mood and crime stuff that much better could save whatever was on the page. And Mike, it kind of starts like a David, like the most notable David Fincher, quote unquote, unsolved mystery, because you get that title card of an unsolved American mystery. That was the setup to the whole movie. I thought it had a good hook, but uh, you definitely had some watchability issues with it. Yeah, I mean, there's some technical stuff that suggests that there's there's stuff here worthwhile watching. Uh, the plot is, you know, I, I I was kind of upset with how how bored i ended up being by by this story which like you just said is very intriguing and we love thomas and mckenzie we love amy ryan uh the guy that, <laughs> i don't have his name in front i know gabriel Byrne is here but the guy that plays uh mayhem and all the all-state commercials it's great dean winters <laughs> yes, thank yeah. you very much <laughs> i had it written down but i didn't highlight it so that's my fault sorry dean uh but yeah i was i was just kind of Mike, I know you and I had the same problem. We said we ended up starting and stopping this thing like 10 different times just because life was getting in the way today. And my biggest issue with that was how easy it was at the end of it to start and stop like that. And I found myself looking at my phone and looking at my laptop. I was just kind of let down by the whole experience. But uh, it's not, you know, the worst movie in the world. Uh, Again, I agree with Andrew. It's fine. Well, Andrew, I I started this movie at like... 1245 and then the president was speaking at three i turned it off i still had 25 minutes left because like mike said we both were just all right we have to do this we do that i'm reading one coronavirus article so i'm pausing it or whatever whatever's happening uh, how how was your watch of this were, were you interrupted as much as we were Listen, Mike, when you're uh, a professional like I am, uh, you you try to barrel through things. And and obviously, when I'm working from home and also watching this movie, I am I am the best professional you could be. Uh, I'm a multitasker. I can do all these things. It doesn't matter. Um, Renaissance man. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, obviously. Well, you know, we're, we're basically in the simulation now, right? We're just doing what everybody else is doing where nobody's watching this movie straight through everybody's going, wait, what did, what happened? What's the update? How many are dead? Right. Uh, and we're not talking about uh, murdered sex workers. So, you know, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're, we're going to unfortunately be distracted right now, but uh, this movie could have held our attention. So it's a little bit of a, a mixed bag. I thought the uh, characters were pretty underdeveloped somehow. And they have true, they have real people here which makes you wonder if they're afraid to uh, really dive into their psyches because they're portraying real people on the edge of a tragedy, Mike. Uh, but I thought Amy Ryan might as well spit the F word, like F you, before she delivered every single line of dialogue in this movie. What did you think of the characters? Could you relate to them at all? If I ever see Thomas and McKenzie be so minimalized in a movie again after I know yeah. what she's capable of doing, I'm, I'm I have to stop watching halfway through. I thought she was such... A role character. Maybe it's because she we're so used to seeing her play these strong, overly mature for her age, feministic, empowering roles. But I I was so disappointed with the way she was handled. She was kind of cast as the sheepish role character, and I just didn't buy her in it because I'm used to seeing her just shine through. But yeah, I mean, you could say that about Thomas and Mackenzie. I thought you could say the exact same thing you just said about Amy Ryan's character, which I guess, you know, having to play a mother under those circumstances when you're battling, you know, coming to terms, I guess, with your own past demons at the same time dealing with the current ones. Yeah, you're going to be a mixture of always overly aggravated and always pissed off at the world, especially yourself. So I, I guess I forgive that a little more, but you yeah, for such, again, for such an intriguing concept and story behind it, you would think that the characters would be more developed and more fleshed out, especially the relationships between the mother, Amy Ryan's character, and her daughter, who is still there, Thomas and Mackenzie. And we only got blips and, and you know, not much of anything from it, I thought. 
Yeah, I had uh, I had like a uh, screenwriting checklist working in my brain for this movie where it's like, all right, here's exposition. The exposition is just, you know, being more and more developed and they're giving you another piece and giving you another piece about the Amy Ryan character in particular. And all of it was just like, all right, she's kind of an abrasive character, right? Yeah. And then they threw in one thing at the end, Andrew, where it's like, oh, guess what? But this, she's also... Uh, a, a victim of this horrible circumstance. I just thought they criminally underdeveloped, like the character of Lola Kirk. Uh, did, did you have this uh, this same thought, Andrew, or, or how did you think they handled the ensemble? I mean, I did. I, I thought a lot of people were very underdeveloped. Uh, I thought some people who had a lot of crucial information in this movie that kind of saved the day were very weirdly played. Uh, the the uh, guy from Goodfellas and Buffalo 66, uh, Kevin Corrigan, that he kind of like drops knowledge that kind of breaks the case yeah. in here. And yeah. and he's like, ah, he's just a paranoid schizophrenic. Don't worry about that know. guy. That guy don't know anything. Right. <laughs> and which is a, a fair assessment, obviously, from the cops who are trying to kind of be evasive. But in the grand scheme of things, He's kind of the guy who breaks the movie, breaks the case. Yeah. So it's kind of funny how they just sideline him and treat him like nothing after a while. Also, uh, I know uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, just even being around that guy was uncomfortable, but yeah. understandably so. You got to do something with him. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree. Everything you were saying, you know, Amy Ryan's kind of one note, uh, Thomas and McKenzie, who even in a so so film, uh, like The King, uh, which just came out from Netflix, she was a standout uh, in that as well in terms of like mood and power and poise. Uh, she's always been great. Uh, and there's a lot of very just confusing characters like Gabriel Burns' motivation or even where his job goes. Gabriel uh, Burns' motivation, when he had that, like, I really got to do the right thing at the retirement party surrounded by strippers, I don't think that's yeah. where most people get their professional epiphany, personally. It's very true. <laughs> he really was the worst cop in America there. <laughs> it's just the whole movie he was. And usually that, you know, brings about opportunities for, like, an amateur sleuth film. And, and this is truly a heroic story of a real-life amateur sleuth and a, and a mother of a of a of a murder victim who you know spurred the next phase of the investigation if we're if we're to believe the movie but to me you know even though the movie heated up a few times uh in that regard to me the kind of the sleuthing the mystery of it all it didn't work that well what did the mystery do for you mike agree it was kind of especially the exposition and setting the you know this is the characters this is the mystery that we're going to be following up on it i thought that it was so choppy and so sped up and the pacing of the movie just never really caught up to the story it was trying to tell that it kind of let me take myself out of it at times because again i keep going back to this like objectively speaking this story where you have the amateur sleuth mother who has her own sordid past and she has a daughter she's still dealing with or two and she's she's chasing basically what happened to her missing daughter in the midst of all these murders that are happening around it. And is she a victim? Is she just lost? Will she show up? Objectively speaking, there's plenty of meat on that bone to go in a variety of ways. And it just, every, almost every aspect of the storytelling of this portrayed by the characters, portrayed by the script, whatever, just kind of fell flat to just kind of, here it is. It's it, again, a glorified episode of law and order is kind of, I think the perfect encapsulation of what's on uh, screen here. And I would agree with you, except for the fact, and maybe the one caveat is, you and I did have a disjointed watch. So I'm wondering, Andrew, you seem to watch it continuously, professionally. You are a dad of several young children. <laughs> My, Michael and I are fathers of none, which could be a name for a podcast as well. Did, did Were you able to get hooked into the mystery of the film more than Mike and I? By the way, Father of None sounds like the perfect follow-up to Master of None. Right. Uh, now that we can, <laughs> whether Aziz is still canceled or not, I have no idea. Right, we got to check on that. In more ways than one. <laughs> oh, God. No, I, I, I found, I, I was as taken out at, at points as you guys were in terms of the mystery, in terms of the story. And I got to say, uh, especially the way the, the movie moves, and the pacing and certain elements that they brought in, like the news footage and, and reporting and all those type of things. 
I think what we're dealing with here, and we are dealing with, but I think part of the elements of why this comes about is the the connection of the people who are at the helm here. I mean, Liz Garbus is basically a documentarian. So mm -hmm. the whole time I was watching this, I was like, A, they're kind of using a lot of tricks and elements to, that, you know, pique people's interest in a documentary to keep the line moving and to kind of bring people into the reality that was there. Uh, but I don't think it works in a, you know, format such as like an actual movie this way. Uh, I don't think that works. And then also the writer, Michael Rowey, he did the uh, Ted Bundy film that came out uh, recently for Netflix extremely as well. Wicked, yeah. Right. Extremely wicked. And you know, it, that movie is actually slightly better than this one, but not by much, but you can tell kind of the, the true crime uh, elements that he likes, but doesn't fully know how to, to kind of, put it into the format that we're accustomed to uh to sell all the information and also to create character it was mostly just how to replicate what was happening at the time versus getting to the heart and the personality of the case co-sign that and i think uh I think I'm going to get into some best scenes that I think are very strong in spoilers when we get into those in a few minutes, Mike. Uh, the movie did heat up for me, but I definitely, uh, I definitely, I think I'm in a don't watch zone, and that's pretty rare for me, as you know, Mike. Uh, where where do you sit on this one? Yeah, are you don't watch at all, or I mean, do you take the the quarantine into account with this? So you're not even going to put this on in a quarantine? <laughs> I, like I wish I didn't watch it. I yeah. unfortunately, like I, I don't think it's that good. I, I just made me like extra negative, you know, going into the news of the the President Trump press conference and out of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess the only bright spot is at least it gives you something new to be depressed about if you want. Talking about you know all these horribly <laughs> slaughtered girls as opposed to the coronavirus. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, <laughs> you don't. I, you... It's so tough to say there's something new and fascinating and there's so much talent attached to this behind and in front of the camera. It's tough to say don't watch it, but it, yeah, we talked about this like, oh, it could be an Oscars movie. Something of this might pop, and there's just no way. So I would I would kind of agree with you there, Mike. I, you can get away with not seeing this, I think. And Andrew, do I, would you recommend this movie for some people in some circumstances, watch or don't watch for you? I mean, if you're a true crime junkie, maybe... You know, you get into something like this, but it's kind of almost, you know, Lifetime movie-esque yeah. uh, we're talking yeah. here. So, I mean, you'd have to be into a very specific type of movie to even try to latch on here. Because the message is at least good, and there's some elements that work, but not a lot. Not enough for me to outwardly recommend it to people, which is sad because now we're, uh, you know, in the middle of March almost. And I think the best movie I've seen from an original Netflix thus far is maybe Horse Girl. And that's not saying much at all. Interesting. And uh, you guys did a great uh, episode on that, though, I, I must say. Thank you. I, I was going to ask you that, that next question there. I mean, well, you were transitioning for me, though, Andrew, because you were, uh, you were already starting to recommend stuff that's currently on Netflix. So what are some alternatives, I guess? It doesn't have to be from this year. Do you have anything that you would say Netflix is your go-to now for this during a quarantine? I mean, listen, they've, you know, they've only really been a studio – active for you know three four years now so obviously the in terms of originals the library isn't super stocked but i would say obviously you guys know because you dealt with it a lot on your own show that 2019 uh they have a ton of great films from there and a lot of them have mm -hmm. been highlighted on your show uh obviously the the irishman's marriage stories dolomites of the world you know are going to get uh talked a bunch uh i will keep desperately trying to get people to watch high flying bird more than anything else. Uh, I think I'm, I've recommended, uh, <laughs> off of Netflix than anything. Cause, uh, Soderbergh is God. And, uh, he, uh, he did a great job obviously. And it's better than the laundromat, which is also there, uh, from Soderbergh too. So that to me, uh, are, are kind of your crown jewels. I also, because I hated the last thing he wanted so much, but thank goodness <laughs> It got me to watch and rewatch uh, Mudbound, which is a terrific film that I hope D. Reese gets back to that form 
versus whatever the last thing he wanted was trying to be. What about for the length of this quarantine? Let's God willing say it only goes like a month or two for now. Uh, (laughs) Is there anything coming up at the end of March, April that you got your eye on that kind of speaks to you more than anything with uh, as far as what Netflix has in store? I mean, to be honest, uh, we did kind of touch on it earlier. Uh, I am excited to watch the platform because I've seen the trailer and it looks bananas. <laughs> you know, it's basically it's a vertical prison trying to pull off some kind of horror film socialism, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to feed people at the top uh, and not worrying about the people at the bottom and, you know, mass suicides and everything else. It's It's got all the markings of uh, a Midnight Madness crazy film that uh you know at least will hold my attention uh and maybe maybe make me think less that the world is falling apart you know maybe it's (laughs) maybe it's just fiction maybe we could think that for one minute give you one of those well at least we're not there yet right Right. exactly yeah (laughs) so you got that um i i know mike and i brought up uh tiger tail as like Mm -hmm. kind of this you can kind of see it where maybe it'll be a surprising Oscar sleeper kind of a situation for them. Like if anything's going to pop out of Netflix, I don't love the fact that they put it at this time of year. If that's the right, case, right. obviously you guys know that, but it could just be, like you said, motivation for moving stuff up to if people are going to have the eyeballs and that's, you know, half the game and that comes out in early April. So, you know, maybe that could be helpful as well. Uh, and hopefully the stuff at the end of April that I'm uh, very interested in, like the Willoughby's and Extraction, uh, hopefully we're not sitting inside uh, just <laughs> praying uh, to see daylight again. Um, but, you know, if that's the case, eh, at least they'll have a couple of uh, cool flicks to uh, check out at the end as well. Well, I don't know which one of us disparaged the platform earlier. Whoever it was was an idiot. Uh, but uh, no, I'm glad to hear all that, and I'm glad to hear uh, of the upcoming slate. And, and we had a blast reviewing that. But uh, let's let's do a few minutes of spoilers on this one. So we'll put in a little bit of a dance warning now. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. So I was going to try and set up the spoiler section here because I'm trying to play host this episode, but I am woefully ill-prepared to do so. Mike, can you do you like your half a spiel or whatever it is that you talk really fast, fast like an auctioneer? <laughs> I can't even do it now trying to set you up. Yeah, we're calling in the lefty from the bullpen for this. All right, this is the spoiler section for Final Girls on Netflix. Uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Final Girls. Final Girls? I was expecting Patrick Swayze to be in this, but no, he doesn't make an appearance. So. Final Girls on Netflix, brought to you by Mike, Mike, Lost Girls, Lost Girls. That Lost Girls, that's, what I, that's the Swayze joke I was trying to make. Okay, let's try that again. This is the spoiler section for Lost Girls. So you set me up too much, Mike. I'm cracking under pressure. Brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar with Andrew of the Nomcast joining us for this. Uh, if you have not seen this movie yet, this is where you want to hit pause. You can't go very far because you're under quarantine. So just turn to your TV, hit play, watch the movie. We'll be here waiting for you when you come back. If you've seen the movie already, if you have no interest in seeing the movie, or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you that you can't go another minute without hearing our thoughts on it, this is where you want to be. All spoilers for Lost Girls. No Patrick Swayze. Mike, let's get into it. Yeah, I, I have a best here, and it starts with the beginning of the movie, and it works its way through kind of the middle. And it's this mystery of why this girl, Shannon, runs away from her driver that's really never answered in the film that I could tell. I don't know if, Andrew, you thought they did give an answer. What did you think of the mysteries of the film? Do you have any best surrounding the mystery? No, because a lot of a lot of it, they were kind of pointing to uh, stuff that the the doctor was doing. Uh, They're the creepy, which I, I can also probably put in uh, best as well in terms of like performances. Okay. Uh, I th- I thought uh, the the main suspect in this case, 
probably was one of the the better actors. Reed Reed Bernie, excuse me, uh, who played Doctor Peter Hackett, because um, he creeped the hell out of me yeah. uh, in in spots, and obviously kind of played that classic kind of serial killer. Some of the stuff that you would wear you know, always has the answer, that outward, bright personality, kind of almost in a Bundy-esque type thought that was like a people pleaser, a kind of man amongst the people, and then quietly was, you know, the worst person in the world. Um, you know, I thought he did really well with that. And I thought a lot of the stuff they were saying about why she ran away or why she was kind of like stumbling or falling or whatever, you know, they were kind of listing the drugs I thought it was going to come up that because he's a doctor, he had drugged her or any of those things. Then the recap completely throws that away. So I, it went nowhere to me. So I honestly have no idea. It did go nowhere. But there was a good scene in there where she just like came upon Dr. Richard Slasher, whatever his name was. It sounded very nefarious. <laughs> uh, Mike, do you have any best scenes surrounding the mystery of it or did the plot kind of fall flat for you as yeah, well? Yeah, I, I got a couple things. I, I really liked when she goes to uh, that community house or whether it was his house, I wasn't really clear, uh, but she you know, asked for the security tapes to begin with and he sits her down. I think it was their second meeting. Amy Ryan's looking around the room and she sees you know, his medical tools are laid out on the table. She sees the plastic gloves and like, of course these are just things that a doctor would have but at the same time, the movie had done a good enough job making him the prime suspect that you know in her mind she's thinking is this what he used to murder my daughter if she's not alive anymore blah 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 I thought that was good I really like some technical aspects of this movie too where you know when we see the daughter running away when Shannon's running away at the very first scene of the movie I thought that was shot really well I like the cinematography of that and I like the callback to it when Amy Ryan was doing the exact same uh, image later on in the movie during the reveal when she when they actually find the daughter uh, in, in the remains of the daughter anyway Anyway, so I like that kind of call and response part of it, too. And I, I thought there was some good blocking alongside of it. So, yeah, like I said, not the worst movie in the world. There's definitely highlights to be had. Well, the big highlight for me was how for for the whole film, they're keeping the, you know, crime scenes at arm's length. Like we're not being shown the crime scenes and they're trying to have these big emotional blowouts between the mother and the daughter as well. And those two threads kind of come together in that final scene where you see the skeleton of this girl, Shannon, and it's lying down. And to me, that was a heart-wrenching, heartbreaking scene. The mother says, we're going to take you home. Like, I was getting emotional in that scene. Yeah, they were, you know, escorted there by the worst cop out of uh, in America, Gabriel <laughs> Byrne. But I, they, were, they were going for some big emotions in this movie, Andrew. Uh, I'm wondering if any of those hit with you. Did that last scene work, like I said, or, or what did you think? That one particular did not. Um, and in fact, I'm a terrible human being and obviously a comedian. <laughs> so I was so checked out and bored by that point that I believe I said to myself, uh, I was hoping because the next scene they cut to like the, the her and her kids in the car that I was hoping it was going to be like a weekend at Bernie's thing where they hold up the skeleton oh. sitting <laughs> propped up in the back seat to take physically the skeleton home. Um, yeah, I had... So the I had nothing else. <laughs> so the movie lost you by then, and you watched it continuously. I wonder if the fragmented watch actually helped me. And I don't know if, Mike, if you like that scene or not, but it helped me because I just watched the president speak for about an hour, and then I finally turned him off, and then I, and I watched that last scene. I was like, holy shit, this is like actually emotional all of a sudden while i didn't have any lust for weekend at burning though i probably <laughs> should have because that's a genius uh yeah I, i'm in the middle of both of you i i was kind of checked out at that point but i could see why it's very emotionally gripping i was just kind of like oh uh, yeah i mean at least the character has a happy ending so that's good i what didn't really feel uh that invested of it because of what the film had done up to that point i would say the one thing that did grip me though if i want to be positive instead of morbidly weird um <laughs> I think the end recap actually got to me more. That was the best part of the movie. It was the best part of the movie. And in fact, I, I sent a message to, to Mike earlier saying that it was kind of felt like in an alternate reality, the movie actually starts almost where it ends and then mm -hmm. continues as a woman fighting for her kids and then ultimately is undone by her kid, <laughs> uh, which, you know is painful yeah. and, and, and hard, but it's actually more probably emotionally 
invest, like I have more of an emotional investment in that. Cause I think one of the things that they try to do here in the movie, uh, is dealing with mental illness. And yeah. I think they just do such a cursory version of it that, you know, especially for that thing to be as part of a recap versus something that's maybe played more in the movie. I understand where it could be a little possibly distracting, but they do go into it where it's like, Oh, look, you know, the, you have another daughter uh, who has mental illness. Are you going to abandon her too? I thought that, uh, what, even though that scene gets botched horribly, uh, the, I <laughs> thought the message behind it uh, was impactful. That she made mistakes and that she could continue to do this. And that part of the mission of this is trying to right her wrongs as much as just trying to be motherly. Like you guys, I feel a little bit guilty in saying the same thing. Like the end story about the mother and the other daughter might be the best story involved in this film. And you probably should have told that one. Uh, look, I just saw, I just reviewed System Crasher, which is also on Netflix, which was up for, for Oscar consideration in the international film category. That's a much better movie about that subject, I would guess. But, uh, you know, they, they, maybe it's a missed opportunity. Andrew, Mike, do you guys, I, do either one of you have any more bests that we didn't get to yet? I do not. So if Mike Jesse wants to uh, jump in, uh, I, I don't have anything. The only other big one I had was and it was the time I was most emotionally invested to anything these characters were doing was the first time uh, Amy Ryan's character getting the update via the news and they hear her daughter referred to as just this prostitute for the first time and there was no basis for that and it just kind of is like wow imagine if you're going through the pain of this woman and this struggle that she's going through and then that's how your your local news callously refers to your daughter even though in all the stigma that comes with being labeled as just a prostitute uh, especially up until like, I mean, it still happens, obviously, but we're at least getting more progressive about it in society uh, with each day we pass, even though we're not nearly where we need to be. Uh, that kind of got me. I was like, oh, that's shitty. And, and kind of like a, it was a bit of a wake up call. So I think that, uh, you know, anytime a movie makes you feel and makes you kind of exclaim, I'm always in favor of that. So I put that down as the best. Well, the movie did make me feel it made, made me feel a lot of anger, I would say. And I guess we can get into worse here. The, the worst part of the movie for me that got me very, very pissed off was Dr. Richard Slasher, uh, <laughs> Peter Hackett, whatever, Dick, <laughs> Dick Cutter. Look, he is a preposterous movie character. Is he a real person in real life? And they took his quotes from, you know, obviously it's probably not his real name, but they're trying to point the finger at this guy, right, as the number one suspect. And I have multiple of my worst scenes involving this dude because he is either like the most obvious red herring in history or he is like a character that just makes no sense. Because if he's a character that makes no sense and he actually killed them, then why would he be flaunting to this degree with the cops, with everybody being this overtly suspicious? His interaction with Gabriel Byrne was preposterous. Yes. <laughs> it was preposterous. When he was like, oh, I didn't show them the surveillance tape, but why didn't they ask? Tee hee, finger in the front of my lips. <laughs> and then he's like, I couldn't watch it because that would be tampering with evidence. Like, not only does that not make any legal sense, but immediately you would be put in handcuff and brought down to the station if you responded like that. So, uh, yeah, that, I'm, I'm with you at that point. That I mean, that one interaction I put down is definitely a worst of mine as well. That scene is pretty awful. Uh, I will say that. But the w reason for me why it's also very awful is that they kind of been playing this subplot kind of that. And, and I put this actually is probably one of my worst, too, was, you know, the cops. The, the definition of, like, are they doing a cover-up? Are yeah. they involved with this guy? I mean, obviously they are in some, uh, obviously with the pictures that they laid out and the, and the Benevolent Society and having uh, parties up at his place or, uh, you know, I thought that was almost more intriguing, almost in, like, a true detective sense. Like, you know, kind of this underbelly of, like, you know, trying to, trying to you know, expose... Uh, this link to a awful, you know, murderer right. that the cops have. I think that's way more compelling. Um, that what that itch wasn't scratched for me whatsoever. And obviously, to put these two in the same room, 
and to kind of not be on the same page with that or kind of tip your hands to anything with that. I don't, I don't know what to do with that. It kind of took me out of something that was even just a hint of uh, intriguing in this movie. Uh, I was referring to uh, David Fincher's Zodiac earlier in the episode because I think that that movie dealt with an unsolved mystery in the perfect way. Mike, right? this I mean, was clearly he... this was clearly trying to mimic that and what that movie did with its main suspect. Clearly, I thought, and I just thought it fell flat. And, and yeah, this guy is a cartoon character because <laughs> if, if he is the killer, then he's mo- most obviously the killer. And if he's not the killer, then he's a silly, nonsense, red herring person, which is like, I don't get what they're trying to do even, but I don't care because he's just a ridiculous character. So, all right, that's where I landed on uh, Dr. Peter Hackett. I I think you guys are with me there. Uh, Terrible, terrible screen name uh, for, for his character as well. All right. I just so keep emotional. thinking of Buddy Wackett, the Chris Farley delivery there. Right. <laughs> but the emotional scenes that Amy Ryan and Thomason McKenzie are trying to have on several occasions are so awkward. Did you guys, Andrew, did you feel the same way? I mean, I'd never seen Thomason McKenzie just kind of out of her element this much before. No, and, and you had put in uh, the, the notes, and I totally had agreed that the the scene where she's like kind of playing it like I'm here. Why don't you love me instead of chasing after, you know, your potentially dead daughter? Um, you know, obviously they tried to play that up to that point, like kind of, you know, it's always kind of been holding a candle to the child that you, your first child that you made mistakes, you know, uh, and obviously is also your, your financial backer. Um, yeah. you know, so, um, and never asking for the money. So this woman is very flawed, um, you know, and obviously they, they play that up at points, but ultimately she's supposed to be this hero. So it's coming out of both ends on this story. I don't know, uh, where they were trying to go with it, but yeah, that one scene just makes me cringe and, and she's way too good of an actress, Thomas and McKenzie to, to have me look at her and, uh, and look away. I just couldn't look her in the face yeah. while she was doing it. I just, it had no punch, and it was uh, just cringeworthy. Mike, how emotional are you that the emotional scenes didn't work? I'm just upset. I mean, Thompson McKenzie, I've never seen her even in a... I mean, she's been an asset to every movie she's been in because she's so beyond her years as an actress, and... I, she was so sidelined and it, it bleeds into the pacing problem I had when they're confronting the boyfriend at the very beginning. There's supposed to be this tension that he's supposed to come off as intimidating and threatening. And just in my mind, I was already like, Thomas and McKenzie could kick that dude's ass. Like, why is, she, why is Amy <laughs> Ryan covering for her? So it's like, it, there's just a lot of things. And I know that's my personal bias, but there was a lot of things about that relationship. And it was supposed to be so concentrated and so, so much tension that just... It just didn't work for me at all. And I think a lot of it is due in part because this script insisted on just having this Thomas and McKenzie daughter sister character be so pacified. And speaking of passive writing, you know, I mean, just overall, if you end a movie with a speech, you're basically you're not showing you're telling. And it's just a, just a, just right in the face of the audience. And to me, it's passive screenwriting. So you have passive characters and passive screenwriting. Oh, my God. <laughs> Andrew, do you have any more worse before I, I go on a bit of a rant about ending movies with speeches? <laughs> yeah, no, it's very it's very weak writing. And I feel like, uh, you know, we kind of touched on earlier the same screenwriter is extremely wicked, uh, shockingly evil and vile, uh, you know it kind of lost its way at the end too. And kind of just made this general summation of like, ah, oh, things are bad, but this person's good. You know, kind of just an aw shuck shrug to, you know, this serial killer story that you're following, <laughs> uh. um, which is pathetic. Um, so no, I, I'm not a fan. Um, they might as well have done a musical number. I don't know what would have worked, but uh, <laughs> when you're recap with, you know, text, and and stories beyond the story you're telling is more impactful and compelling. It's not good. I tell you, if they ended this movie with a combination of Weekend at Bernie's and a musical, 
I would have been a better fan. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hello, my baby, hello, yeah. my honey, uh, with a skeleton. Let's do it. Why don't they make Weekend at Birdies into a musical? Isn't that a great idea? I, I'd be yeah. down for that. If they can do Evil Dead and all the, and Silence of the Lambs as musicals as off off Broadway things in New York, absolutely, Weekend at Bernie should. All right, so obviously the speech at the end of the film did not get me away from this goofy-ass tangent right now about Weekend at Bernie's being a musical because speeches at the end of the films are not effective uh, unless it's like the King's speech and the whole movie is about speech giving. It's the subject of the film. But even in A Beautiful Mind, I thought it was awful that they gave a speech at the end of the film. And, And here you just got this big, let's lay out all the themes in case you forget, this is why this movie is important. Maybe that works in a documentary because you're, you're giving voice to the actual subject of the film. But here it's just like aggravating and they don't have a resolution either. So it's just ridiculous to me. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into final grades, final thoughts here. I'm going to actually go to C minus on this one. And I do want to ask Andrew a question about if Netflix has got to be careful with movies like this, especially when, you know, all of a sudden they get a prime time. But Mike, what's your grade first? I'm close. I, I, I guess I'm a little higher. We're starting a trend now where you're, Actually, starting to go lower than me on some of these. I, I was like a 75 C, 74, 75, that range. Uh, just to, you know, it's a movie that exists. That's a C. <laughs> well, movies that just exist, Andrew, probably shouldn't be in this feature spot. Now, they didn't know it was going to be a featured spot for Netflix, but I'm a little upset with Netflix for not having a good movie out this particular week and not moving something up to this particular week. What do you think about overall? Do you think a lot of people are going to watch this Netflix original movie and, and are going to think poorly on the brand at large? Or do you think there's obviously, and I, I'm just being an idiot here, there's obviously enough credibility already built up? I mean, you know, obviously maybe people don't have as discerning tastes as the three of us. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it is, they, they did what, a, unfortunately, the standard studios do where they, they toss a lot of their garbage in the beginning part of the year when people are more distracted or watching other things that unfortunately a lot of those things got canceled. Uh, So they're going to be coming more front and center than they'd probably like. Uh, And, and shame on Netflix for not having uh, using their reach to know more about an impending uh, pandemic coming along. Uh, That's, that's (laughs) on them. So that's a complete misstep on their part, but they, uh, there, I can see maybe that they're starting to move the chess pieces that you know to to move things forward. I know a lot of people are making more moves in movies that are not their own. Uh, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, Netflix. A lot of times, you're like, "Wait, where are all like the the big blockbusters or the big award winning movies? Where are they?" And then all of a sudden, you know, a pandemic happens, and hey, they have Goodfellas here now, and they have There Will Be Blood, and they have all these like big time award-winning films i'm like all right apparently they they stocked up the catalog they went back in uh, this is their version of uh you know stockpiling you know eight rolls of toilet paper or whatever uh <laughs> like most people are doing these days they're selling hand sanitizer for 700 dollars. this is uh, the netflix version of that where they're just trying to give as many options to you as possible so you don't leave them I'm with you on that, and I, I I don't know what it's called in the business or technique-wise, radio technique, but I tried to set you up so that you can smash me down there. I, I'm not worried either. Netflix is as essential to me as it as it's ever been. That's why we love having you uh, on MMO, Andrew. So thank you again for doing this. I'm already rewatching The Crown, Michael. We're going to review that on MMOW, but uh, I, I, I do thank you, pal. Uh, You're finally a proper guest on MMO. You did a great job. I appreciate it. Hopefully uh, next time, better movie. Uh, we'll work on that. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. But they got a few things. And one thing we didn't mention, which may be a MMOW thing for you guys, Crip Camp coming yes. up uh, in a week and a half as well, uh, which is the Obama documentary team. So hopefully good things. That got huge buzz out of Sundance. Yes, knock on wood that we're all healthy enough to uh, record that together. Uh, that would be awesome. I wouldn't hold my breath. (laughs) Nobody should. (laughs) At least two of us will be able to record it together, together, right? (laughs) That's the hope. That's the hope in the Schmike, Schmike one, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. All right, cut all of that, but we'll (laughs) see you guys later. 
Well, that's it, and that's all for our review of Lost Girls on Netflix. We thank Andrew of the Nomcast for being with us, as always. He has been a great, uh, basically, third host for Mike, Mike, and Oscar, or substitute host, at least, for a couple episodes. Mike and he had collaborated on uh, part two, I believe it was, of our 2020 year in preview, going down the entire Netflix slate of potential Oscars contenders. You heard us talk some about that this episode. They go way more in-depth to that on our playlist. You can go check that out on our SoundCloud or our iTunes. Uh, they also had collaborated for the Oscar Sprint Profile of Marriage Story last Oscar season because I was sick, <laughs> which always seems to be the case when Andrew comes around. So I was healthy for once, so now he and I know we actually exist for a change, which is a good feeling to have in your heart to let someone know you're not a ghost or a figment of your co-host's imagination. As far as what is coming next from Mike, Mike and Oscar, we just talked about it after uh, we hung up with Andrew. We are going to dedicate an episode to big time adolescence. You heard us talk about that. This episode that's on Hulu right now. We were probably going to have that episode for you in the next couple of days. After that, probably looking at a midweek debut for MMO weekly. And like I said, at the top of the show, Every episode going forward for now is going to be probably done remotely. Mike at his home and me at mine. And we're going to try to uh, just stay on top of the world as being affected and changing by this coronavirus, guys. So uh, as always, we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about Lost Girls, about what the new MMO schedule is going to be and anything else we have done and will do here in the MMO empire. You can leave us those. We are Mike, Mike and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike and Oscar on Instagram at MM and Oscar on the Twitter machine, Mike, Mike and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts. And right now, if you're sitting in your home, if you are under self or imposed quarantine, no better time to go back and listen to our podcast. You can go check us out, soundcloud.com slash Mike, Mike and Oscar. You could check us out on iTunes. And if you do happen to check us out on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, we would truly appreciate you giving us a five-star review and give Andrew the Nomcast a five-star review and a couple listens as well. It's very wise to be a fan of his, as we have said multiple times. And this episode proved that out uh, as it does every time that we are fortunate enough to have him guest with us on here. Guys, again, stay safe. When reality sucks, and it kind of does right now, come in, type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar into your browser. Come watch movies and listen along with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. Thank you for listening. We will see you all very soon. See you.